Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you've been enjoying our latest series of podcasts as we've been exploring this phenomenon known as, well, for lack of better terminology, discovering the Hebraic roots of our faith. Some of us have been on this path uh, of faith for 20 to 25 years, while others are brand new. There are people of all different ages and from all different backgrounds who are realizing that, hey, wow, Jesus was Jewish, not Roman Catholic, not Southern Baptist or Pentecostal. He was a Jew, and almost all of his first disciples were Jewish. He did things like honor the seventh-day Sabbath and celebrate the biblical feast days. Then many of us started asking ourselves, if we're to walk as our Savior walked, are we too supposed to be doing these things? On top of that, many of us are awakening to the fact that Israel matters to God. Should Israel then matter to us too? Many of us have felt that something is missing as we sit in traditional churches listening to traditional sermons. We know Jesus as our Messiah, but is there something more to it? Is Jesus the endpoint? or just the beginning. So what's happening? These are just some of the questions that we've been trying to tackle in this series. In our last podcast, Gary and I started telling a story, a very important story that comes straight from our Bibles. But strangely enough, few Christians have ever really heard it, much less paid any particular attention to it. This is the story of Judah and Ephraim. We believe that this story is at the heart of our search for the missing piece of our faith. We've found Jesus, but have we lost our true identity? I think the answer is yes. We've forgotten who we are. And when you've forgotten who you are, you don't even know you're missing anything. That is, until God awakens this hunger or curiosity, this desire to know. Oh, we can have a flesh and blood person show us something read us some Bible verses, explain in detail this extremely important prophecy. But if God hasn't flipped on the light switch inside of you, you're not going to understand. You will not get it. But most of you are here because God has flipped this switch on inside of you. And now you're using this light to discover and understand Bible truths that have been unknowable to you until now. But why is this happening to us now at this point in time? Was this part of God's plan? After this break, let's talk about God's plans and let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, As the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind in the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, Author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. Okay, so we're going to start 
by doing a brief recap of our story about Judah and Ephraim. Then we will continue in what I guess I'd call that loose storytelling format. Mm-hmm. We kind of had fun with that last yeah, week, Gary. Yeah, no, that worked pretty well. Uh, yes. It worked pretty well. And so we did that in the last podcast. We're going to kind of uh, do that again. I say loose because you and I always break into the story. Sure, we <laughs> can't help ourselves. That's right. So we're going to do a recap. And of course, in a recap, we're going to leave out details. Mm -hmm. So um, I would encourage you, if you have not listened to the podcast called Not a People, please go back and listen to it. Okay, here goes. God chose Abraham, and he made a covenant with him and his descendants after him, and he would give them the land of Israel and be God to them. In this promise, he told Abraham and his descendants would be as numerous as the sands of the seashore. The Bible tells us that this line of covenant passed to Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons who became known as, as the 12 tribes of Israel. On his deathbed, Jacob took his son's, sons Joseph's, excuse me, took his son <laughs> Joseph's two sons, uh, the Egyptian-born children, and he adopted them as his own. And in, in this really mysterious and strange prophetic event known as the cross-handed blessing, Jacob blessed Ephraim, Joseph's younger son, with the firstborn blessing. This special blessing always included great faith, fruitfulness, particularly fruitfulness of the loins, meaning Ephraim would have many descendants. Fruitfulness of the loins. Is that fun? <laughs> That's a good way to put it, Derek. The Bible documents that indeed Ephraim was fruitful, so much so that when the kingdom of Israel split in two after the reigns of King David and King Solomon, the much larger northern alliance of 10 of the 12 tribes was often called Ephraim because that tribe had become so dominant. It had become very fruitful, just like the promise. promise. This northern alliance or northern kingdom was also called just Israel in our Bibles. And that's where we get some confusion Mm -hmm. is knowing when the Bible says Israel is referring to the entire kingdom, all of Israel, or when it's just referring referring to the northern. That's why context is so important. Always, always. (laughs) So eventually, because of disobedience, the northern kingdom, known as Israel or Ephraim, was conquered by the Assyrians and the people were scattered throughout the vast Assyrian empire. They eventually assimilated completely into the Assyrian Empire and basically forgot that they had been part of Israel. The southern kingdom, known as Judah, was also exiled for 70 years to Babylon for disobedience to God's Torah. However, some of them returned after these 70 years to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. You know, and it's, it's important to realize that the residents of the southern kingdom of Judah, for the most part, always remained uh, retained, I'm sorry, retained their is, uh, Israelite identity, even when they were exiled again in 70 AD by the Roman Empire. We know them as the Jewish people. In contrast, the residents of the northern kingdom lost their identity. The Bible says that they got swallowed up by the Gentile nations. So in our last podcast, we stopped at this point in biblical history. So we just did the recap. The southern kingdom was scattered, but retained their heritage and identity as God's chosen people. The residents of the northern kingdom, however, were scattered and experienced a kind of collective amnesia, forgetting that they had once been part of the united kingdom of Israel. So what happened to those poor forgetful people? (laughs) (laughs) The kingdom of Ephraim. Fortunately for us, the biblical prophets foretold what would happen to them. Though they were eventually scattered to the four corners of the earth, God never forgot even one of them. Amos 9.9 says, For surely I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among the nations. As grain in a sieve, Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Ephraim, he prophesied, that indeed that the northern kingdom would be sifted among the nations, but God would not lose track of them. Now listen to what the prophet Hosea said. And what you're going to see is 
all almost all of the ancient prophets, Gary, talked about this this mm-hmm. um, sifting among the nations, this scattering of the people, and the regathering, and the delineation of the difference between Judah and Israel. Yeah, exactly, or, or exactly. So Hosea in Hosea one it says. Yet the child, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, just like God told Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. It shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Then, now listen to this, the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And that Hebrew word Jezreel means God sows. So uh, this will be the time when God gathers in the people of Israel that have been sown among the nations. Mm, it's exciting. I mean, you remember, you might remember that in our last podcast, God said he would appoint 10 tribes to the northern kingdom and one tribe to the southern kingdom. Of course, that is only 11 tribes. But as we said at the time, the tribe of Benjamin became part of the tribe of Judah. So we see this 10 to 1 ratio. In chapter 8 of the book of Zechariah, the prophet talks about this 10 to 1 ratio when he prophesies and says, God's, God's saying that his people from the countries of the east and the west, uh, where they were scattered, and bringing them back to Jerusalem. In Zechariah 8.23, we read, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the, of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. We did this illustration, Gary, and you might have been there for one of our presentations with our performing arts ministry, and we literally had 10 people um, grabbing hold of the seat mm-hmm. of one person who represented Judah, yeah. and it was really very, very powerful up there, but, you know, it represented this approximate ratio of the people who call themselves Gentiles who want to follow Israel's God compared to the people who call themselves Jews and follow Israel's God. Mm -hmm. So it's this ratio that we see here with Judah and Ephraim, and it harkens all the way back to King Solomon and the punishment for his sin when God said, I'm going to rip apart your kingdom and give 10 uh, tribes to your what servant? I think it was. Yeah. yeah, and keep one tribe for you. You know, again, just to just to point out, I'm, I'm glad we're using scripture here because this is not something that we made up. This is all scriptural. This is all historic fact. And it's quite a story. I think I yeah. said last time. I think somebody should make a movie about this. This <laughs> is would, really cool. It could be fascinating. <laughs> yes. yes. The Bible tells us that God did not forget Ephraim. Even though they forgot who they were and followed up their Gentile nations and customs, but eventually Ephraim's punishment would be over. And Ephraim would, st- I, I'm sorry, I go back and forth between you Ephraim and Ephraim. You say it any way you want to say it, Gary. <laughs> it, just, it just comes out that way. Ephraim would start to come back to his senses. Jeremiah 31 says, I have surely heard Ephraim's bemoaning himself. You have chastened me, and I was chastened. I, like the untrained bull, restore me, and I will return to you, the Lord my God. Surely after my turning, I repented, and after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a, a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I will surely remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin Israel, turn back to these cities. How long will you wonder about, O you backsliding daughter? I love all the imagery there's so much cool imagery in that mm-hmm. statement. I love everything about Jeremiah 31. That's always been one of our sure, favorites, right? Absolutely. There's so much in it. Um, and, but this idea, you know, of Ephraim realizing at some point that he was wrong, okay, that there's this, um, and 
so wrong that, you know, he he repents of this wrongdoing. And because he's come so far away from where he was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And yet God says, I'll remember him. And I love this idea of set up landmarks and signposts. Gary, um, I, I feel like sometimes in this walk, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking, remember that idea of, um, was it Hansel and yeah, Gretel? Yeah, leaving breadcrumbs. Leaving the breadcrumbs. Yeah, I knew you were going there. Yes, yeah. I agree. That's the imagery here. So, you know, so when you look for a breadcrumb here and a breadcrumb crumb there, you find a lot of these, not that I'm calling the Bible breadcrumbs, but okay, but it's word. Okay, it's a word. It's, okay. it's imagery. It's, right. it's, 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 it works. It works perfectly. And so you look for some here and maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a, a Passover experience, okay, mm. is one of these pieces that you get or right. something. And you get here and there, and you're trying to find your way back. That's just wonderful imagery. It is. And then once you start on that path, then you see them. I mean, you know, if you're if you never start the path, you'll never find the signposts. But once you start walking from one signpost to the next, then as you're reading the scripture, you say, "Oh, I see it now." I mean, you know, that's that paradigm shifting. When before you were told one thing and and it maybe meant something else to you, now as you walk this path and see the signposts, to use another analogy, the puzzle pieces come together, together yes. and and the picture starts to 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 unfold and you realize, wow, what have I been missing? That's right. Yeah. And, and and you don't, when you start this, you don't see the whole picture. Right. You don't see the end of the path, mm-hmm. but you just go to the next signpost, to the next signpost or the next puzzle piece or however you want, which analogy you want to use. Right. And as it comes together, that's that excitement that we feel. It's like, whoa, this is something bigger and better than anything I ever imagined before. Amen. You know, Amen. But you got to start walking down that path. And I think to start down that path, you do experience some of what was here in Jeremiah 31. This um, this need to well, there's this wake up experience, and then this need to repent and to realize that whoa, there's something wrong here, and now I got to go find it. Yeah, I got to go find out. So what's basically, wrong. what you're saying is the scripture is describing our experience. I think it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. I like that. <laughs> I like that. So what Jeremiah 31 was saying is that at some point. Poor Ephraim wakes up from his stupor and realizes who he is or who she is, because this one point says backsliding daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she or he, right, is humiliated for having strayed so far. So then what does what what does the Bible say that Ephraim has strayed from? This mm-hmm. is key. Mm-hmm. Well, from God's instructions, from God's Torah. Mm-hmm. The prophet Hoshea tells us that the the reason for Ephraim's punishment, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I have also rejected you as my priests because you have ignored the Torah of God. I will also ignore you or your children. I know that's your favorite passage, Kathy, and it is so clear. It is so clear. We We have a set of instructions that if we ignore... He will ignore us. I mean, I didn't say that. That's through the prophet. Absolutely. Word. And we, you know, Gary, I know a lot of times we, we go, we teach Torah, and people are like, it seems like a foreign thing to them, mm-hmm. right? They're like, are you making this up? What, what are you doing? And, and yet, we're, that's why we want so much to use scripture here. Absolutely, because you can't argue. You can't. Well, if you're going to argue, argue it with God. Don't argue it with us, right? Exactly. (laughs) You know, so at some point, someone does instruct Ephraim. And, you know, we've all had that experience where someone told us something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It it may not have worked that way for everybody. Maybe the Holy Spirit did like a Holy Spirit download. I don't know. (laughs) Or maybe it was a flesh and blood human being who came up and said something to us. And so Ephraim, as represented by a group of people, they are instructed and they are shown who they are and how far they've strayed. When that happens, these people wake up and they're ashamed. Their shame moves them to repentance. Mm-hmm. And you know, and what is repentance? 
It's teshuva. Teshuva. Right? Turn it and around. Turn around 180 degrees. You're going the wrong way. Amen. Okay? So, uh, you know, I find that to be... That's why we're here, Gary. That's why we're doing Torah talk is because we have strayed away from that knowledge and we have all but been destroyed by this lack of this knowledge. Yeah. Uh, we've opened ourselves to attack from the enemy for sure. Yeah, I think that right there is a whole nother topic. But absolutely, when you don't have the word of God guiding your life, then everything becomes subjective and, and it's just, oh my gosh. I mean, you can be that's, deceived so yeah, easily. Exactly. And that's what we're seeing in the, in the, in the earth. And I, I, I want to uh, stress that, you know, this is a responsibility for those of us who call ourselves as believers, mm -hmm. right? I'm not, we're not talking here about the outside world, you know, the, obviously they've forgotten God and God's instructions. I'm talking about believers forgetting significant portions of God's word, Amen. you know, or yeah. ignoring them. Yeah, right. yeah it's, it's um, uh, you know, well, I guess Bonhoeffer would describe cheap grace. Mm. I mean, this idea that, uh, you know, wow, you know, uh, fire insurance, I'm in. I accept Jesus, I'm in, you know, and the that's, that's the end. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that it's is just the beginning. <laughs> so harmful. It's just the beginning. Yeah. I mean, the biblical prophets often spoke about the return of both houses of Israel. However, it does say that the house of Judah will return first. Zechariah 12, 7 says, The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. See, there's a whole discussion about the meaning of the house of David and the inhabitants Which of Jerusalem. Which we don't have time to go yeah, in. But <laughs> suffice it to say that for now, that God is concerned with bringing Judah home first. And this is exactly what I, you know, we, we, we've all been involved with. I've dedicated my life to, and that is the Aliyah, something that's happening right now on this planet. And the work that you're doing now, Gary, is fulfilling exactly this Jack, Je, Zechariah 12 prophecy. It's the tents of Judah first, right? Yeah. You are bringing home Judah to Israel. People are proving that they are uh, Jews, okay? Mm -hmm. They're just, you know, Jewish ancestry in order to go home first. So what you're doing, and I've had the privilege of being involved in too, um, is exactly this fulfillment of Zechariah. Yes, uh, you just described on a very practical level, because all prophecy is is fulfilled on a in a practical way, or otherwise we wouldn't see it as being fulfilled. Exactly. Um, and, and that is, we, you know, those those individuals who can prove their Jewishness, whether it be through uh, rabbinic records, whether it be through um, job files, you know, in the former Soviet Union, you had to put Jewish as a race um, on your job records. But, you know, they, there was there's ways of proving Jewishness in your lineage, and that's what we help them do. And we don't determine that Jewishness. It's signed off by the Israeli consulate. In, the, in that local region. But yes, this is what we would say as the return of Judah, the Jewish people. I love how specific God fulfills prophecy. Amen. <laughs> I, I, it's so, I, 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 you know, I want, how do people not believe, <laughs> you know, when it's so specific? But we will say, how many even believers know that that's even going on? That the Aliyah is happening? Now? I think I think that's part of the problem here. I, you know, if if we would just open our eyes, God is. I mean, I, I like to envision. It's almost like he's shooting off flares. Yeah, you know, flying the airplane down the beach with the sign, "Hey, hello, I'm doing this." You know, and nobody's paying right, attention. They're all laying on their stomachs, exactly, right, in, in a good yeah. book or something, exactly. and they're not paying and any nobody's attention. Nobody's paying attention that this is going on right before our eyes, and definitely the world doesn't see it as for, for what it is, and uh, sadly, much of the church doesn't see it for no. what it is. No, you know. So while these Aliyah efforts currently are focused on Judah, God will eventually get to bringing um, Ephraim back home too. Zechariah 10 says, those of Ephraim will be like a mighty man and their hearts will rejoice with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will whistle for them and gather them. Love that imagery too. Mm -hmm. And I will redeem them and they shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children and shall return. I will bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the land of Gilead and Lebanon. For those of you who don't know, the land of Lebanon is actually part of the promised land that God gave to Israel until no more room is found for them. Mm. Great imagery again. But what he's talking about here is whistling for Ephraim. Yeah. There's that that imagery of of there's going to come a time where, all right, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, I'm going to try to get your attention. That's what a whistle does, right? Uh, yep, get your attention. You know, can and you whistle? I can't really whistle, but <laughs> we'll, we'll spare our audience. We'll spare our <laughs> audience right now. But uh, yeah, the, the scattering and eventual regathering of both houses of Israel is a major theme of both the Older and the New Testaments. It was even prophesied in the Torah. And see, you know, that I and I point that out often when I when I go speak in churches that all the way back into the, you know, if if somebody doesn't know what Torah means, I usually say in the first five books, right. Moses was was instructed that this was going to happen. And Deuteronomy 30 says, When all these things come come upon you, and blessings and curses that I have set before you, and you will call them to mind in the nations which the Lord your God has banished you. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey his voice with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything that I'm giving you today, then he will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you from the nations to, to which the Lord your God has scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the farthest horizon, he will gather you and return you from there. And I love that. Remember, what is the farthest horizon? It's as far away as you can get from Israel as possible. That's with right. Israel being the, uh, uh, the center of the everything. The centricity of Israel is so key to understanding right. the scripture. That's right. So going out from Israel as far as you can get, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's, it talks about the coastlands, okay? The far coastlands or whatever. Uh, as far as way as you can get, you know, boy... This whole Western Hemisphere where we are is pretty far away. Pretty far away, right? yeah. yeah. And, North and, you know, America, are... South America, sure. pretty far away. Sure. You know? I mean, he and he describes, and I, and we may even have some of those passages, mm-hmm. but it describes the North, the South, the East, and the West. That's right. You know, so we describe that as the four corners of the earth. Now, we've said before that most of Israel's prophets foretold the regathering of Judah and Ephraim. So what we're going to do is just give you a little sampling of some of these prophets, okay? I remember once my my friend and I were going to go into the Bible and highlight every time there was a reference to this Judah and Ephraim prophecy, and we started doing it, and there was a lot of yellow, Gary, okay? There was a lot of yellow <laughs> hide, highlight. Yeah. So Hosea 1.11, then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land. Okay, and Jeremiah 3.18 says, I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. Now remember, Joseph is Ephraim's father. And it says, I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside, for I am the Lord their God. And Jeremiah again in uh, chapter 3 said, For behold... The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and mm-hmm. Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Okay, Isaiah 11, verses 12 and 13. And God said, though through the prophet Isaiah, I will set up a banner for the nations, and I will assemble the outcast of Israel, and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Also, the envy of Ephraim shall depart and, and, and from Judah, I'm sorry, depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. There's I, that distinction. That's right. And it sounds, this always makes me laugh because it sounds like two bickering siblings. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. that's exactly, 
a perfect illustration of Judah and Ephraim is they're they're not understanding uh, somebody's jealous of somebody else somebody's in you know envious and it's is causing a lot of problems and that Gary actually brings us to the next point and I I, I loved when someone showed this to me and mm-hmm. instructed me on this mm-hmm. and what we're talking about is the uh, the story of the prodigal son. Okay, we read that in the Gospels. Uh, we're actually going to read it straight here from Luke 15. But they suggested to me that I read this prodigal son story using the names Judah and Ephraim. Yeah. Okay, so Judah as the older, it will now play the part of the older son, mm-hmm. and Ephraim will play the part of the younger son, right? And, and I think w- what our audience should do, just as we have done, is when you read this, determine does that make sense with everything that we've read so far does that align with scripture does scripture interpret scripture here could this be the exact interpretation of what this parable is all about and i'm not to say i'm not saying that you can't use the prodigal son story for other teaching lessons you you, you and can over the years it's been used it's for only a been lot used of different right things, and but. it's only been used for that but i i like your question is you know if, if bible if the bible is interpreting the bible mm-hmm. you know and if we have themes and patterns that carry throughout from beginning to end mm-hmm. then this seems to be a part of that theme yeah so i mean just ask yourself does it fit and if you don't think it does, then you can reject it, That's set right. it aside. If it fits, then consider it as being one of the ways this this scenario, this dynamic that we're reading about in prophecy is described. Right. So then he said, a certain man who had two sons, Judah and Ephraim. Ephraim said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after Ephraim gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then Ephraim went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent to him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when Ephraim came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And Ephraim rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And Ephraim said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on Ephraim, and put on a ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For Ephraim was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now Judah was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Judah called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother Ephraim has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. But now Judah was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Judah answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been your ser- serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment and any, at any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as Ephraim came, who devoured your livelihood with his harlots and killed the fatted cow for him. And he said to him, Judah, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It, it, is, it was right that we should make merry 
and be glad. For your brother Ephraim was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Even as you were reading that, Gary, I, God showed more and more to me of, of this story and, and how this is all going down, <laughs> so to speak. And I'm, I'm, I'm very interested because when I get to the part about Judah being angry, okay, it's, you know, like at Ephraim returning, um, I don't know. Do do you think we've hit that stage? I don't know if we've hit that stage in prophecy being fulfilled. I, well, I have seen over the years. I have seen where the the uh, Christian Zionist movement or Hebraic roots movement has. Well, you know what? I'll give you an example. Okay. I'll give you an example. I just thought of just as we we're speaking. There was a time when one of our representatives had a Russian immigrant on bus. And that Russian immigrant looked at her and said, you've stolen our God. Oh, okay. You've stolen our God. And she quickly said a prayer in her mind and said, Lord, I need wisdom. And she answered to him and she said, yes, we have taken your God, but I'll gladly give him back to you. And they became friends for the rest of the trip. Right. And because she humbled, uh, humbled herself and did not argue and realized that, and there are many who are seeing this in the Jewish community that we are receiving their God. You know, say to the daughter of Zion, you know, your, your God, God reigns. reigns. Um, that, that is the attitude that we should have. Um, so, yes, I have yes. seen examples of this over the years. I've seen where they have uh, some have gotten upset over the idea of seeing shofars and and and, and uh, sh- um, talit and other things being used by by Christians, and sometimes not necessarily as given as much respect as, as they, they should. should. Yes, and I've, so I've yes. seen those responses, and yet we, so we have to be. Well, I've even, now that you're saying this, I'm like, I've even seen this with Passover, Mm -hmm. with the concept of, uh, I had a friend once who had this great idea that we were going to celebrate Passover with Christians and Jews. Mm -hmm. And the Jews that were in this group, uh, several of them said, nope, that's not going to happen. Because at this point, you know, they don't know Yeshua. And the the Messianic Passover was not going to be for them. They felt like we had appropriated Mm. that holiday Mm -hmm. uh, for this celebration of Yeshua in that holiday. So we have to be super, super sensitive to that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. we have to, I firmly believe Yeshua is in the Passover, right? And that they will eventually know that. But we have to be super sensitive. Uh, just keeping in mind this this whole story of the of Judah, uh, the, of Judah and Ephraim getting yeah. upset, of Judah getting upset. I think we yeah. have to be really aware of that. I think we do. So what I want to do after this quick break is let's talk about the big question, who is Ephraim? For over 25 years, Ezra International has been helping the poorest of the poor Jewish people escape poverty and persecution. In fact, almost 80,000 Jewish people have now returned to Israel with our help. The average cost to rescue one Jewish person is $360. Your gift of just $30 a month over one year can help return a Jewish person to Israel and restore their hope for a better future. Please go to EzraInternational.org and give your best gift today. Okay, so the big question is, who is this Ephraim? And I said in the last podcast that there have been pockets of people found throughout the world who believe that they are descendants of the 10 tribes of Israel. But there's just not a lot of them, not enough to compare them to the stars of the sky or the sands of the seashore. So who else could Ephraim be? Now, if you haven't figured it out yourself by now, let me ask a couple questions. (laughs) Is it possible that Ephraim is those among the Gentiles who have willingly joined themselves to Israel and Israel's God? Could it be those who are grafted into the olive tree of Israel, as Paul said in Romans 11? Those of us who were once without hope and foreigners to the commonwealth of Israel, but now are part of this commonwealth through Israel's Messiah, Yeshua. Could it be 
those of us who've developed a love for Israel and our Jewish brothers and sisters, those of us who are discovering that the true faith is the one practiced by the early disciples, those of us who are being irresistibly drawn to Torah, could it be us? Could it be you? This, this is the, the, the question, and we are not saying that there are no such thing as Gentiles from the nations who uh, have been grafted in. But what we're asking the question is, because of this draw, this, this in something in our DNA that draws us to back to, to the God of Israel and to his instructions, uh, is it possible? And Kathy, I want to pause right here and comment on this whole idea about being grafted in. And this, now, this was one of those signposts for me. If you remember in my testimony that, that Romans 11, 17, that grafting in was definitely a signpost for me that drew me in. In fact, it changed my life and started this journey. And I've always talked about the graft as being so important. And I've even talked about the, you know, the, that question that Yeshua asked Nicodemus, um, you know, you're a teacher of the, Gen the Jews and you don't know this thing. I, this, in principle, I've understood that this idea of being regenerated from above or born again, as we call it, started all the way back with Abraham. I've always known this. Well, for many years, I've known this. But just recently, one of my colleagues, uh, Janet, sent me some, some scripture and some research that she did showing that, that my, my beliefs were well-grounded and that Paul's beliefs were well-grounded. You know, he was basically, he was showing off his rabbinic chops here when he talked about being grafted in. This was, this was his, his Hebraic credentials coming through. This was not some clever metaphor that he made up. Because for centuries, the rabbis understood the wording in places like um, Genesis 12.3, and I think it's also found in Genesis uh, 28.14. I think there's a, there's a third one, Genesis 18.18, 18, all speaking of this idea of the, the nations or the peoples of the earth being blessed through Abraham. Now, we understand that on a basic level is, of course, the Messiah came through Abraham's seed, right? But the language here is key. This understanding for centuries has been that the word Baruch here, the blessing, in its context, in these three examples, is better translated with Neverechu, uh, which has a, which has a um, root word Mavrich, all pointing to the idea of intermingled or grafted. Grafted. So what, what... So you're saying the word blessed is related to this word for grafting. Yes, okay. it, can, it could be read here huh. that all well, the families of the earth will be grafted. Instead of saying blessed, will be grafted. So in other words, when we remember we were told that Abraham was preached the gospel... Abraham was told by God that through you, the nations will be grafted in. Through you. I mean, 4,000 years ago, the gospel was preached. This, understood, this, this truth was understood by Abraham. Obviously, it was understood by Paul. Yeah, and, so it was passed down, this concept of, yes. of being grafted in. Yes, yeah, so there was nothing new here. And so I just want to address some of those who are being very, very critical of what you and I are doing, or the entire Hebraic roots movement. I mean, it's called a heresy, it's called, you know, a cult, it's called all kinds of things. What I'm saying, and Scripture is saying, is this truth has existed for 4,000 years. It's what God has intended all along. I mean, obviously, it's, it's in, been in His intention from the garden. He knew these things were going to happen, but it was revealed in Scripture through Abraham. And so I'm going to put it as simple as I can with all these individuals who are calling this legalism versus grace argument. Simple as I can, I will say that God said he would make a way for the entire race, the entire human race, to be reconciled into his family. That's his grace. 
God's grace, because he's initiating this. He says, I will make a way to reconcile all peoples into my family. Then he gives us instruction. Then he gives us a code of conduct, what he would expect that family, how that family should behave. I can't put it any simpler. Because it is rather simple. Right? But it we've is. complicated it. We have totally complicated We're told our theology is off. It's not theology. No, this is the, the word, word of God, God from the get-go. That's right. And when we, if we are Ephraim and we've moved far away and forgotten who we are, we don't understand how, we don't know, number one, we don't know Hebrew. Right. Mm-hmm. So we read these things and we don't catch these uh, uh, connections mm-hmm. lots of times. Right. Correct. And we've been told in the church that we are something separate from. Right. So now that colors everything that you read from there. You've got a bias because someone has told us that. Right. And even in uh, Jeremiah, in that reference to uh, when the nations, when when God is gathering the people, it'll say the Gentiles will come and say, "I've inherited lo- we have inherited lies," yes. right? So it takes a while for us to figure out we've inherited those lies uh, that have become doctrine. Yeah. Within the church, they have, and see, we it's because we've made these man-made divisions. I keep hearing, I've heard it over and over and over again with those who are critical of, of what we do. We're not Jews. We're not Jews. We're Christians. We're not Jews. Well, that's the problem with making these divisions. God said in his word that he would bring, he would reconcile the world. This is about world redemption. The reason why he chose a people was because he needed to bring our Messiah through them. But it never intended for that people to be a, 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 a um, divided from all the rest of mankind. He, he would use them as a vehicle to bring world redemption. But then that that wall of division is torn down, and all wall of hostility, all are welcomed into his family, both Jew and Gentile, regardless of of where you started this journey. We're we're one in Messiah. And we're, we have one access and one promise that God would God said he would reconcile you through faith. That's right. Through faith. His grace and our faith. It, it's the same message from the very beginning to now. It is. Nothing new, right? right? Nothing, really nothing new per se in what we call the New Testament. It was just a, I mean, yes, we have the story of Jesus added into it, but Jesus is always pointing back, always pointing back to the word, okay, before and and trying to make those connections for the people there and, and, and trying to um, expound on these truths they were blind to some of it too, sure. just like we're blind to some of it. Right. And 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 um, we got to really. Um, now I think is the time. Now is the time when we're dealing with this or having to deal with this because this is the time that God for such a time as this. Yes. Right. This right. is it. This well, is no, it. You're right. There, there's always been this blindness, or well, for many years, this blindness. I mean, the story of Peter. Simon Peter is a story of the blindness. But, of course, it was reversed. Back then, at that point, he's a Jewish man saying, I can't go to a, Jew, uh, to a Gentile home. I can't. I can't. They're unclean. That was the belief because this separation had happened. That's and right. the rabbinically taught, or the Pharisees at that point, you, you just don't go. You, you can't intermingle with a That's Gentile. Right. So Peter had to, it had to be revealed to him that, yes, you are going to the Gentiles. Now... The problem is with the Gentile world, we have to understand <laughs> that we are intermingled with the, 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 with the Jew. But yes. see, again, I'm using uh, these labels, but those labels need to go away. Well, it's it's the story of the, the son. They both have the same father. They're in the same family. Right. There's all this bickering right. that should not be happening, you know? So, And I love how that story, going back to the prodigal, I know he said to, to the older son, you've always been with me. You've mm-hmm. always had everything that I've given you is is still yours. It's still yours, right? You didn't throw it away, right? Right, and it's still yours. I've and been we're not usurping it. And we're not usurping it. No, because this yeah. was part of his from the beginning. I'm not, you know, giving you something of his. He's not usurping it, but it. it I don't know. I just think it's it's that story of the prodigal is just so profound. Mm. I want. 
um, I encourage all of you in our audience to, to get back to that, to read it and put in those names and pray about that and say, you know, is it is this something God's wanting me to understand through this story? I know that God showed that to me, and it was really very, very powerful. Yeah, it is. God God wants one, one people, one family, um, and he has given us one set of instructions for that family. That's, that's right. as simple as I can put it. That's right. That's right. So we're going to move on from here just a little bit. You know, we had said um, that the Aliyah efforts concentrated on bringing Judah home, okay? But we know it's going to go to to bringing Ephraim home. Mm. Now, Gary, you and I both know a man named Avi Lipkin. Yes, we do. Right? We've known him for 20 many plus years, years right? Years. Good man. He lives in Israel. Mm. He's a Jewish man. Now, he's been doing something interesting on the ground in Israel for over 25 years is he's been trying to form a political party. Okay, now we're talking politics, yes. right? And he, the purpose of this party was that it would represent Messianic Jews and their family and friends, people, Messianic Jews, ones who recognize Yeshua as their Messiah, who now have families um, who... And as Jewish people might have an interest in returning to Israel, maybe they've married Gentiles, people we know as Christians, right? Mm. So how are they going to bring those families back home when, according to current law in Israel, you have to prove you're Jewish, right? Mm -hmm. That's a real practical roadblock that's happening in politics right now. So now, I, Avi, he was just here not very long ago, ago and he calls himself, it's funny, a conservadox Jew, you know, <laughs> so conservative and orthodox. Um, but he has seen that Bible-believing Jews and Christians have a lot in common. So his political party, which is known as the Bible Bloc, right. um, finally actually became a reality in 2018, not long before the pandemic, mm -hmm. okay? But this Bible Block Party is pro-life. It supports Aliyah. It's opposed to a two-state solution. Um, views that kind of resonate with many conservative Christians. Yes, they do. And you know, he, knew, he knows it's just a practical uh, you know, concern that there are Jews and Christians who are married to one another. And he says, what are you going to do when as, the, as that, let's say, you know, these Jewish families come, but their spouse is Christian, they, they need representation too. And that's his Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't it cool, though, that mm -hmm. on the ground... God has put this man, Avi, yes. because in the real world, this may need to be done through a political party in the Knesset. Okay. Could God just do it without that? Yes, he could. But right? again, practical prophecy fulfillment. That, yeah. And that's what we're always talking about. Now, like I said, Gavi's goal isn't to replace Jews in Israel, but to have these Bible-believing Christians who know and understand their relationship and their responsibilities to Israel to join with the Jews of Israel. This is a fulfillment of Judah and Ephraim, Gary. Yeah. You know? You know, you know the, the Islamic world calls us the people of the, the book. book. They get it more so sometimes, I think, than, than the Christian world does, that we are one people, people of the book. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. God is currently working in the realm of geopolitics. We know that. I mean, it, you know, he has to accomplish these ancient biblical prophecies. God is using men and women who are willing to do the Lord's groundwork to accomplish his goals. This is how it always works. It's what you say all the time on the ground. You know, we read these great prophecies that we've been reading here about returning the people. Mm -hmm. And on the ground, what does it look like, Gary? Mundane work. That's right. It looks like, you know, schlepping bags to the airport. It looks like doing paperwork. It looks like fighting bureaucracy. And, and we've, we've used that, uh, that in our tag, um, miraculous and the mundane. It is the miraculous happening in a practical way. And we who are doing the mundane work, need to recognize that. And we do. Yes, I mean, do, we recognize right. that. But I think the world needs to recognize it as it's not always looking for these, um, you know, I Parting don't know, of the Red Sea. Parting of the Red Sea or blood moons or this right. or that, whatever yes. it might be, because it's happening every day. Uh, I'm in glad you world. said that. When you even mentioning the blood moons, you know how we always look for these signs. Mm -hmm. We look for these signs from God. Yeah. Come on, folks. Knock, knock, knock. Every day. This is every day what's happening. But 
it doesn't look like this great cool sign in the sky. Exactly. It looks like somebody carrying luggage. Exactly. Right? You know, and and so people uh, miss it. It, does, it doesn't look like a miracle. It doesn't look like a fulfillment of prophecy. Right. It doesn't look like those things on the ground. But it's part of the and, greater and, miracle. And, and it and is. Prophecy. And it's even greater to me. I think it would be easier for God to part the Red Sea than to coordinate the efforts on the ground, you know, for all of these individual people to be called in their hearts to do this work and to coordinate the efforts all around the world. That's a much bigger job. I totally agree with you. I I, I often ask that question when speaking in churches is that which is the greater miracle? Mm -hmm. Moving a people as a group from Egypt into the land of Canaan, we now know as Israel, or taking them, scattering them to the four corners of the earth, and then after 2,000 years, bring them back one person, one couple, one family that at a time. That reminds me of that herding cats in exactly. Lynching, right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that to me, it is the greater miracle. And then the, the cool thing about it is now, not just Moses has this opportunity to partner with God, but all of us have a chance to partner with God Absolutely. in it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, no discussion of Judah and Ephraim and that story is complete with what without the most quintessential, I believe, Judah and Ephraim biblical passage, which is found in Ezekiel 37. Mm -hmm. It is often called the two sticks prophecy. Gary, if you could read this for us, we've talked before about two houses and two kingdoms Mm -hmm. and two families. And here we're going to see it called two sticks. Yeah, it's two sticks. And, and, you know, you have to ask yourself, what do you do with these prophecies? And that's why they've been so spiritualized over the years, because we fail to see them as practical. Mm -hmm. And so let's read it. When your people ask, won't you tell us what is meant by this? Say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I'm going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in in Ephraim's hand, and of the house of Israel's, uh, and and of the Israelites' tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick. So I I butchered that once again, but it's telling us that Ephraim's stick and Judah's stick are going to become one. I I heard you reading from a different version in your head, right? That's the problem. That's the problem. Your version here that we've got is different than mine, but that's okay. Um, I will make them into a, a single stick of wood and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes and the sticks you hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on them and say to them this is what the sovereign lord says I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone I will gather them from all around and bring them into their own land I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel there will be one king over all of them and they will never again be two nations or divided into two kingdoms how clear is that? It's so clear. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember learning this, seeing this prophecy, and that was another one of those major game-changing ex- uh, moments in my life, that paradigm shift in my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. I, I, it seems so clear to, and easy, and yet there is a lot of resistance to it for a lot of, a lot of host of reasons. But I think it's another one of these. Okay, this is what the word says, folks. Take it up with God if you don't believe it, right. you know, but, but I think, in, you know, we need to honestly chew on that and figure in mm-hmm. what does God mean by that? But, you know, we've shown, you know, over these last few couple podcasts that all, there is a major pattern. There's a major theme. There's a, a similar prophecy talked throughout the entire Bible, through all of the prophets going all the way back to Torah, mm-hmm. and, you know, with Moses being the prophet speaking about it uh, first. And, once you know it, yeah, you know, you're hard pressed to now forget it. Or, you know, I guess maybe you could push it aside for a while. But you know what, we're dealing with the fulfillment of this prophecy right now. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, you you don't have to agree right away. You don't have to see it. But but you have, I think all of us need to question, how do you explain this? Phenomenon. If you got a better way, you Had just you, let us know, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> Do you have a better way? And if we can find an answer in Scripture, would we not want to? We might want to, to, to. That that should be important to us. It should. And I'm, I'm not talking about one verse, Gary. No. We're talking about no. a, you know over and over. I right. talked about the highlighting, the yellow highlighting. Right. You go to your Bibles and you highlight every reference to this Judah and Ephraim and the houses and the two kingdoms and all of this. It's a lot. 
It is a lot. It's a and lot. It's like, how else do you explain it? How do you explain the idea of, of as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the sky? How else do you explain this movement of people coming back to the, their, their, their basic understanding of what the Torah right. instructs and we, us? We didn't make that up, folks. No. This, we were not stand, you know, just sitting there trying to figure out, hey, what's going to be the next move of God? Let's try to figure this out. This hit both of us, right, mm-hmm. um, in places where we were weren't, that's why I know it's a God thing. You know, it's like, I wasn't looking for it. Right. right? I, right. I had my own life going on. I had things going on. And, and when God started to show me this, then I had to say, oh my gosh, what am I going to do about this? Mm-hmm. Now, I guess I could have ignored it, yeah. you know, and yeah. I chose not to, and I'm glad I didn't. No, exactly. And I think that may be where some of our audience is too. Maybe. And cause Kathy, I, it's, it's indescribable. This longing, this desire, this, you know, we, we know that the Psalm says God will give you the desires of your heart. And it, we, we, people read that all wrong. He put this in our hearts. Yeah. Where did it come from? Where there's, there are those, and there's nothing wrong with this. It's at level that there are those say, I'm a Christian who loves Israel or supports Israel. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But I'm telling you, it goes so much further than that in my heart and in my DNA. It's every everything about who, what makes me who I am, is about being connected to this to to this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, and to this people and to this land. And I can't explain that. It's it's beyond my comprehension. Although it's we do there. try in this podcast we a do lot, try. <laughs> and that's what we're trying to do today. Exactly. But I still feel like it goes oh, beyond it's my so words. So much bigger. I don't uh, think I can put into words no. how. And I know you feel the same. I, way. I, absolutely, and I'm thinking this is probably how a lot of you are feeling in our audience, even if you're kind of at the beginning of this realization. You know, we started this podcast series about Judah and Ephraim with what I called a very provocative uh, quote that Jesus made to the Canaanite woman with the demon-possessed daughter. He told her, and this was recorded in Matthew 15, 24, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Mm. It's extremely provocative, but now that we've gone back through some of this story, maybe now you have some understanding where we might have just read right over the top of that one, mm-hmm. right? And not even bothered, no, not even a bump in the road. Hmm. Now we got to go, oh, what is this only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel? You know, was, you, was Yeshua referring to the ancient cross-handed blessing? Surely he knew that, right? Of course. <laughs> Was he referring to the prophecies of Jeremiah, Hosea, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and all the others? Deuteronomy? Was Of course he knew those. Of course he knew them. <laughs> Remember what the disciples asked Yeshua before he was taken up into heaven. They said to him in Acts 1.6, Is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom of Israel? This idea of the restoration of the kingdom of Israel was a hot topic of those days when they were under mm-hmm. Roman rule, mm-hmm. okay? And, 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 and understandably so, and their ideas of what that restoration and when that would look, uh, when that would happen, you know, they didn't have it quite right, you know? Right. Um, but, you know, we've, 2,000 plus years later, totally forgot about this concept of the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, perhaps until a little bit got us started thinking in 1948 when the nation of Israel. Yeah, I think that slapped a lot of people in the face, you <laughs> yes. know, especially the replacement theology. But you know, if, if it had been a stupid question, Yeshua would have, you know, told them so. That's right. I mean, this is his last. This no is such his thing la- as a stupid question, but that's a stupid yeah, question. Well, I mean, you know, here he is, going about to ascend to his father, and it's the last chance he's got to to instruct them or correct them, and he did not correct them because the kingdom of Israel was was key. They just had the misunderstanding that it was going to be then, and that it meant just overthrowing Rome, Roman right. uh, control. Right. But it was obviously so much greater than that. But his answer t- tells us that he didn't think it was a stupid question. He just said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So so what did they do? They waited. The Spirit of God emboldened them, and they launched this movement that we're still beneficiaries of today. Amen. Amen. Started there, right there at Pentecost, Shavuot, yes. or that 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 year, and it it and has moved out. And as God has scattered His people, 
this gospel has spread. This gospel Amen. good news message has spread. You know, Yeshua knew that Israel had been scattered throughout the earth, and he told his disciples that their job was to basically regather them by sharing the good news about the purpose of his death and resurrection. It was what Yeshua did on the cross that allowed for all of his people, Jew and Gentile, to be reconciled back to the Father because their sin had separated them from him. So it was this ministry of reconciliation yes. that Paul talks about. Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's to the whole world. To the whole world. Now, what Yeshua did on the cross was the beginning of the regathering that's been going on now for over 2,000 years. This restoration of the kingdom involves not only the renewal of hearts, okay, as we experience it, maybe come being, uh, maybe saying it's um, uh, being born again, mm -hmm. okay, that's, mm -hmm. that's part of it but also the restoration of relationships between Jews and Gentiles who've joined themselves to Israel's God. And as we can see in our day and time, the restoration of the kingdom involves the return of God's people to God's land in Israel, the yeah. physical return. Yes, there's both. This is all what the disciples were looking forward to. And we're privileged to be witnesses to the final stages of this restoration that must occur before Yeshua returns, as the Apostle Peter told us, told those who were gathered for Shavuot or Pentecost many years ago. You know, I'd like to say to this audience that most of the world has no idea what's going on, as we just said, in this whole heavenly realm. But as situations in the earthly realm deteriorate, as I believe they must, I encourage you to keep your sights on heaven and what God is doing. Even better, pray about how you can participate in the restoration, in the regathering of Israel. You have a unique opportunity to join God in the greatest fulfillment of prophecy since Yeshua walked on the earth over 2,000 years ago. I will end with a question you've heard from both Gary and I before. If you could partner with God, would you? Shalom, Shalom. everybody. You have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Sinma. You are more than what you have become. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.